0: Monkey Dory Labyrinth. This is off the list. you end up here please let us know so that we because we just would we'd find it funny we would really find it funny to know how you stumbled on here without knowing what this is
1: and we would have made a new friend
0: oh yeah (laughs) so with that in mind we are entering our bowie week it is bowie week baby and we are going to talk about bowie's first capital b bowie album hunky dory Mm -hmm. and his and i guess it would it be fair to also say his and jim henson's movie
1: um i think it would be fair to say jim henson's
0: movie okay yes Jason <laughs>
1: Bowie just came in and was like
0: hmm. yes <laughs> yes jim henson's movie labyrinth that's a much yeah. better way of putting it <laughs> i you know the details better than i do but with that said we are going to be starting with hunky dory and For a little bit of background, Hunky Dory is David Bowie's fourth studio album. And it is his first, like I said, capital B Bowie album. It is known as the album where everyone was like, whoa, this is Bowie. And funnily enough, it actually did not sell very well when it was first released. Not because the songs weren't great, but because it was not supported by the record label very well. And it was only upon mm. Ziggy Stardust doing so well that it got a critical reevaluation and it's songs like changes and life on Mars really exploded from there. So it mm. kind of got retroactive fame, but yeah, this album is stacked. It's got two of potentially the best David Bowie songs ever in changes and life on Mars. And it has him returning to his roots as a songwriter and really putting a lot of tributes down to Bob Dylan and it's a great just classic album I adore it and I could go for on for much longer but Nadira what do you know about Hunky Dory I'm sure that you've heard Life on Mars beforehand but had you listened to this album in its full, and then what did you think listening to the album in its full?
1: yeah man I mean this is one of classic Bowie albums from what I understood i don't think i necessarily understood why or in the the grander context around that at all um but i've definitely listened to this album before multiple times i definitely loved it when i first heard it, i don't think I, I wish i could remember the first bowie album i ever heard i mean it was probably Ziggy stardust i don't know mm-hmm. but um I, I wish i could remember but this wasn't the first for sure um but it definitely is one of my favorites i do think it has one of the first bowie songs i've ever heard even though it's not the first bowie album i've heard in total because <laughs> um the song changes was famously covered by the one the only Lindsay lohan in <laughs> confessions of a teenage <laughs> drama queen
0: wait, the I, iconic film wait i'm sorry but we, while we're bringing up covers of changes shrek 2 <laughs> yes
1: well that too that as well that as well
0: <laughs> like I, that song lives so far beyond its lifetime <laughs> yes
1: absolutely i actually wonder okay no because this is important to me i need to know what came first i don't i don't know when to track two. they're the same year no they came way. out the same year 2004
0: you're kidding me. you're that's kidding kinda, that's kind of crazy actually that's kind of crazy
1: that's that's insane
0: that there was this one year where everyone's like, yeah, no, this is the David Bowie song that we're going to be using.
1: <laughs> I love that so much. That's so chaotic. in like the, the most Bowie way ever. Ugh, oh, anyway. So that was the first time I had heard a Bowie song without knowing it was a Bowie song. So i I'm like, Oh, I really like this one small section in this medley from confessions of a teenage drama queen. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> that's exactly how I said it too. <laughs> and, um, oh, yeah. yeah. Then I found out later in life that it was, uh, a Bowie song and we can get into my sort of situation with Bowie when we talk about the film. But yeah, I don't, I just love this album. You know, it's, it's classic. It's great. I have so many questions about how an album that has songs like both Andy Warhol and life on Mars can exist Mm -hmm. in the same space. Um, But yeah, just,
0: I mean, like (sighs) Yeah, just tell me more. In terms of background, before this album, David Bowie was making a lot of kind of hard rock and traditional rock sounds on The Man Who Sold the World and his previous three albums. And it was this album where he was like, no, I'm turning my back to that kind of hard rock sound and I'm entering art pop and pop rock. This is where he found himself and where he found... Mm. Out his character and it was really his first brush with creating a character for himself with an album and funnily enough that character like the hunky-dory character that was inspired by the actresses of the hollywood golden age it's what's on the cover where he's sitting like that was the reason why the label actually didn't want to promote this album because they figured that david bowie would change his character again for the next album and it would be confusing the listener wow okay and it's interesting to hear that because of how much he changed from you know z stardust to thin white duke to like all of the different characters and how at that point that's what people loved is how every album there was a different character but at the time that was not very common and labels did not like that because they thought it was hard to kind of like promote so that is a really interesting kind of like media background to it is like that he was one of the first artists to kind of have a different character for each album And Mm -hmm. to kind of force the labels to recognize that the people really liked that and really wanted that. Mm -hmm. But because this was the first character, it did not do very well at the time. But regardless, the album is very specifically dedicated to Andy Warhol, Bob Dylan, and Lou Reed, who are all very clear sonic influences. Even Andy Warhol, even though obviously he's not a musician, just the way that he creates his art and makes his pop art styles they make sense within how he's creating his music and when you sit down and just read about what he is musing about on this project what it really is to me is david bowie charting his course for the rest of his career and saying i'm going out here and none of you will be able to catch up Mm -hmm. and none of you will be able to keep up Mm -hmm. and I think that he realized that himself where there are times or interviews where he's talked about changes where in that, you know, David Bowie, since he's like, yeah, you know, I guess thinking about it, it was kind of a (laughs) classical contemporary idea on how I was going to change the industry. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. but every song on this album really feels so ingrained in our DNA as an American listener. Mm -hmm. And It's hard to understate just how subtly progressive everything was when this came out. Everything that was done and the way he fused all of these kind of more heady, introspective and country roots from like a Bob Dylan and a Lou Reed with the more art pop and pop aesthetics of other artists and then like the Warhol comparison where you have kind of this larger idea he fused it all in such a subtle and beautiful way with songs that are just a masterclass in writing. Like, life on... Everyone knows Life on Mars. You yeah. can't... But, like, I can't do enough or say anything new about that song that was not beautifully written at the time of his passing. Like, that song is mm. maybe one of the best songs ever written.
1: English-speaking canon. Yeah, the
0: English, English-speaking English <laughs> canon. But And then, like, a personal favorite, Changes. It mm-hmm. does that thing where an artist before he starts singing just as a little like, mm, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and from that instant, you know that he is in complete control of everything that happens with his voice and like with his sound, just artists who are able to pull that off so confidently. Oh, "Changes" is one of my like favorite, it may be my favorite Bowie song, honestly. And I listened to it religiously when I went back to the sound to listen to it the pod I actually just looped changes for an hour before I finally got to listen to the rest of it again and yeah that is yeah I mean that's most of the background that I think is relevant do you have any like specific things you're curious about or songs that you're like I want to talk about this song
1: <sighs> yeah I mean it's hard not to just gravitate towards life on Mars right because I yeah. always want to talk about life on Mars I mean that song ugh, it just soars in a way that like just doesn't make sense like only a genius could come up with that melody because real realistically like when you sit down and sing it you're like this melody makes no fucking sense this melody makes (laughs) zero sense it charts zero course (laughs) it just (laughs) makes zero sense but and he's kind of he's kind of
0: pitchy and welpy on in the like moment where he's going for it and the confidence to know that that's the take he wanted insane insane
1: and it's it's so it's so smart it's so good it soars to such heights that song is just so amazing and again changes like we talked about probably the first bowie song i ever heard so of course i have like this special place in my heart for it i think life on mars might be my favorite bowie song i mean it's hard it's 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 hard because there's 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 so there's so many
0: Mm -hmm. and i love them
1: all and the lyrics
0: um, on this project are awesome, too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I uh, it's actually really, really hard to talk to talk about this album because it's just like so perfect. I feel like sometimes we run into the situation where it's like, how do I say anything other than I love this? Oh, my God, it's so good. Um, But I love this. Oh, my God, it's so good. Yeah, yeah I think the title Hunky Dory is that that's not even a lyric on the album, is it? <laughs>
0: No, I, at least I don't remember it being one. My, I think that Hunky Dory is a play off of, well, I mean, the phrase Hunky Dory means like all okay, Mm -hmm. like all, everything's Hunky Dory, everything's all right. Mm -hmm. And when he was adopting this character of this Hollywood golden age, Mm -hmm. that is kind of known as the Hunky Dory character. He wanted this idea of a character who was everything's okay, everything's good, everything's perfect. So I think in his mind, he just took a modern phrase at at the time of his, you know, recording of the album. He took the modern phrase of hunky-dory and he said, this is the character's name because everything is like hunky-dory here.
1: Yeah. It's not that the songs aren't happy because, you know, there are songs that are like true love songs on there and... Mm -hmm. But it's the the tone of it doesn't give hunky dory. The tone of it gives like something else, and so to title it hunky dory to me is just so fun. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just like it's just. I guess it's just like redefining what is okay, you know.
0: And that's the whole point of the album, in essence, is like I said, it's him charting his course. It's his saying, "I'm going to change this scene, and I'm going to change the perspective." moving forward and he did that in a lot of ways whether it be his kind of constant flirtation with queer culture um, despite his very kind of confused and polarizing relationship with actually being queer um, (laughs) or his kind of embracing of these characters and I think what has always been fascinating to me about David Bowie's music not necessarily him as a person, but his music and the way he creates art is how perpetually forward-thinking he is. Mm. And I think a lot of artists who are always looking forward and thinking, what can I do that's the next stage or something along that lines, a lot of them fall into this trap where they create something dissonant or odd-sounding simply because they don't understand what the future will be. Right. But... David Bowie always grounded his future within what we were so familiar with. And it's why it always feels so easy to go along on the ride. Like every, everything that's on this album, you know, at the time when it came out, I'm sure felt like the future, but there's nothing on it that you couldn't grab to and instantly feel like you had a space on the spaceship with him.
1: Right. I want to be on Bowie's spaceship. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. There's nothing there's nothing more we can say. <laughs> All right. Um, It's time to move on to more unfamiliar waters. Well, less familiar waters, I should say, <laughs> Um, to the 1986 cult classic. And again, we're talking true definition of a cult classic, the film Labyrinth knowing i mean i didn't even
0: know it existed
1: (laughs) yeah knowing that ben has never even heard of this movie um filled me with an unidentifiable feeling um but something a feeling that is equivalent to like everything was wrong with the world and now we have fixed that we have fixed that feeling how does one describe the labyrinth how does one do it justice I don't know I shall try Labyrinth again released in 1986 it was directed and sort of conceptually conceived by Jim Henson who if you're like that name sounds familiar but I don't really know who that is Jim Henson is the legendary puppeteer actor author all the things Um, he's credited for creating the Muppets and Mm -hmm. Fraggle Rock
0: um, and and through creating them up it's creating half of my personality
1: yes exactly exactly and i think anyone who is a kid who was raised on like pbs and public radio and all of that kind of stuff would say the same thing you know um he died in 1990 shortly after this film was released and we can talk about that too this film was also executive produced which i didn't know until i looked it up for research for this podcast but by none other than george lucas
0: um it has everyone's (laughs) fingerprints on it it's so weird listen
1: i'm 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 not done um (laughs) it stars david bowie of course and jennifer connelly who i mostly know is from being from requiem for a dream um but she's also been in tons of other stuff including a beautiful mind and like so so much other stuff i mean she's young in this film but when you see her face you'd be like ah yes that girl Mm (laughs) um there's like where where does one even continue um brian henson jim henson's son did a lot of the work on the film he was actually the puppeteer and voice behind hoggle um frank oz was one of the um i forget which character he played but he was one of the puppets for one of the characters and also did some work on the film frank oz if you don't know is also probably behind jim henson the like second most famous puppeteer he got his start on the muppets jim henson gave him his start he's also yoda Mm -hmm. (laughs) frank oz is the yoda um and he also worked with jim henson besides the muppets on other stuff including their film dark crystal which i haven't seen Frank Oz is also the director of Derek DelGadio's In and of Itself. I, no love, to no yes, I love to bring that up. Yes, I love to break it full circle. And I know that I mentioned it God. in our podcast episode, too, because I was so surprised when I found that out. But that is the Damn. truth. Yeah. Calvin um, Clash also does some work in this film. Calvin Clash is Elmo. like The OG Elmo. Man,
0: this, so, okay, this, this movie's fucking... I, like, I, I could tell that it had, like, fingerprints on it. But this is way more than I even could have known
1: labyrinth is about a young girl who it's kind of like a really truncated coming of age story um she's kind of a brat to be honest Mm -hmm. um she's asked to babysit her baby brother toby her parents are clearly like somewhat exasperated with her and she's clearly a girl who likes to live in the clouds and in her own fantasy realm and like well not own but the fantasy realm that she imagines like from the books and stuff that she reads um when the film first starts you see her sort of like reciting lines from this book the labyrinth um and it's just all about like this goblin king and all this stuff so she's asked to babysit her smaller brother toby she doesn't want to toby keeps crying she's like i don't want to deal with this so she makes a wish and she asks for the goblin king to take her baby brother toby away Lo and behold, the Goblin King shows up. It's David Bowie, and he does exactly that. <laughs> and so now she does it has... in the most
0: David Bowie way possible.
1: Yes. <laughs> David Bowie comes in, he takes her little brother, and she's like, I didn't mean it. You can't do that. And he's like, Oh, well, if you really didn't mean it, then you can come check on me, Boo. I live in the center of this labyrinth <laughs> in this <laughs> castle. <laughs>
0: God. And then it's her whimsical adventures. Through.
1: Yes. And then it's her whimsical adventure. And he's like, You have, I forget the original, it might have been like 13 hours at yeah. the onset or something.
0: But, but at the same time, he like shortens it arbitrarily halfway yeah. through. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It, it doesn't matter. But basically, um he's like, You have a certain amount of time to get to the center of the labyrinth and come get your brother. And if you don't, your brother's becoming a lol goblin, just like the rest of us, and me and my lol henchman. And she's like, um huh (laughs) and then here she is at a labyrinth and she has to go through different trials and tribulations obstacles riddles um in order to make it to the center of this labyrinth and retrieve her brother and through that whole process grows as a human being kind of like breaks that seal and becomes an older woman the other tidbit to this is like clearly the goblin king wants a goblin queen or princess, whatever, Mm -hmm. and this is his ploy to get a goblin queen like like it's very much like a I want her to forget about her brother while she's in this labyrinth and like stay with me like when she cu- when she finally gets to the center I want her to like be in love with me is sort of the sub it's like very
0: small subtext
1: but is the subtext of the film I mean so I noticed it, it on my
0: first watch so Yeah
1: so, so it's 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 a little it's a little creepy it's, it is a little creepy um but yeah that's the general plot of the film and it's very much follows the line It was inspired by a lot of things heavily, including Alice in Wonderland and The Wizard of Oz. And it very much falls that line of like, this is all a dream um, to help the main protagonist, young girl, work through issues, problems, um, insecurities that she personally has. And like she borrows from real life to like build this whole dreamscape. Um, so that's also at play here but yeah the other important stuff um, it was not lucrative when it came out it actually had a really poor reception and it led to a really difficult period in Jim Hudson's career so says his son Brian Um, and this was the last film that he directed before he died four years later mm. um, and it had an initially very very mixed response but has since become a true cult classic with a very strong cult following um, and has been revisited or reevaluated by many prominent publications who have now said we love this movie um, and so now it's like really become like a cult classic favorite and people love this movie even though it is just balls to the walls <laughs> insane yeah um, but does have some really really impressive like puppetry and um, practical effects and uh, uh, it is yeah. so whimsical and lovely well i think it's lovely but i really would like to know ben what did you think of this
0: movie so a couple of immediate thoughts before i forget them based on what you said it makes sense this can be at the end of jim henson's career because my god the puppetry in this movie is in fucking sane yeah like it really is you watching it you kind of have one part of your brain that's constantly just like technical marvel like wow they really went off and even when you can tell that how they did a shot like where they had like the babies dropping the ball shot reversed mm-hmm. still, it still it's still done so well that you're like I don't care it looks great it looks so good and my second is a question that I just need to ask because it was burning in my head the entire time and I, I didn't have the appropriate knowledge to answer it is her is the main actor's performance in this movie camp is this whole movie camp like what is the like <laughs>
1: i mean i mean define camp in this way right like of course this whole movie is camp okay but i don't think you can necessarily single out what like David Bowie plays a goblin king in tights that are very tight, very tight, <laughs> yeah. very tight tights, and sings a whole song that he wrote specifically for this movie. By the way, um, that is, of course, a bop. Um, mm-hmm. Sings a whole song in the middle while puppet goblins are dancing around him. Of course, this movie is camp. Yes, but again, like many things that are camp, you know, kind of starts from a grain of truth. In terms of, like, young girl coming of age. And I think th- what makes the movie so great is Jennifer Connelly actually plays it pretty much straight. Like, she plays mm-hmm. it like a girl who really believes that she's in this world and that her brother is about to die or be yeah. kidnapped. Well, her brother was kidnapped, but, you know, is a, it's about to be gone forever. And she really has to save him. And she really yeah. has to woman up and, like do the right thing, make the right choices. And you can see her, like there's one point after she solves a riddle, which is probably besides the music scene, like top three scenes of the whole film to me, where she mm-hmm. has to choose which door to go through. Um, And she says like, oh, I get it now. I wouldn't have been able to do this before. And, you know, yeah. she literally says it out loud. And so I think she's really playing it straight. And I think it gives the movie such like earnestness. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: that's it's it's actually awesome use that word because that is the two words that come to my head with this movie are earnest and whimsical like those and you use both of them in the description and it really nails both of them i think i kind of found it more like bemusing and entertaining that way yeah then I did like, oh, I just love it. I was just kind of more like, what? That's where it's going? <laughs> like, yeah. More, and like how some of the problems are solved are very like silly and again reuse the word whimsical. Um I I really thought like a lot of the characters are just so inventive and so fun. Ugh, Ludo. Ludo is so overpowered. Are you kidding? Ludo is my Ludo. Ludo, Ludo is my favorite character of the entire movie and he is in so sweet If this is if this is an anime he is Gojo like Satoru yes. he is so powerful in this universe when he's just like howls and rocks just come and smash things I'm like this is like an overpowered god in this muppet Absolutely. world Absolutely Um and I, they
1: do such a good job of actually like humanizing, for lack of a better word, goblinizing um, mm-hmm. <laughs> some of these characters. Like Hoggle, you know, is very much a, what do you call it, deuteragonist? Yeah. Um, you know, second protagonist. You know, he goes through a very significant change throughout this film, like very significant, almost as significant as Sarah's change throughout this film. Um, You see him go from someone who doesn't care about anyone else and doesn't even understand the concept of friends to someone who sacrifices his own personal beliefs or like gives himself over to fear in order to save his friends. Um, And I think i like, they do just such a good job of making everyone just seem like lovely and giving them you know personality and And a surprising
0: amount of depth despite the fact they're puppets
1: (laughs) yes and I think okay to be honest I think a lot of that actually has to do with just like the the just the expertise that Jim Henson has when it comes to puppetry it's so easy for puppets to not come alive like for them to just remain puppets but he's mm. so good at building a world with fake characters that are puppets that feel like real characters that you can get immersed in i mean as soon as sir didymus pops up
0: oh, i'm like cute oh fucker what a cute I'm like, old
1: fucker th- this is th- Yeah, like this is real. And when you find out that his trusted steed is a dog,
0: like you're just like (laughs) Not even not even like a dog dog, like a little shit dog. Like a dog that is so small and he's just like, Come on, buddy when
1: bowie has the whole musical interlude which he does an entire mm. musical interlude um with a song that fucking slaps that starts with you remind me of the babe what babe the babe with power what power the power mm. of voodoo who do you do do what remind me of the babe? like how does a song <laughs> that starts that way not be a banger it's a banger Ah, oh, it's so good his tights are so tight oh jesus um unfortunately you know as is expected mirrored the situation in the film which again older goblin king trying to seduce young underage girl who might in the film be like 15 16 not sure um into being his bride and i feel like you know if you extract that to the real world you'll see what i'm trying to say in terms of what he has done allegedly don't even know
0: The story with Laurie Maddox is that she was a groupie for rock stars in the era of David Bowie. But the time that she was a groupie, she was only 15 years old. And what she has said on the record for this instance is that when she was like 15, she proposed to David Bowie going up to their hotel room once, and David Bowie turned it down. But then several months later, when she was like nearly 16... Um, the same situation happened again where she again propositioned and then David Bowie accepted this time, and then they went up to the bed and they had sex, and that is what she has said about it. I don't, this feels like a disclaimer that's important, which is that she seems she has no regrets about it Mm. in the interview. She's very candid about saying that she likes that that's what happened, Mm -hmm. but. It doesn't change the fact that that's statutory. Yeah. (laughs) And that no one under the age of 15 can, or no one under the age of 18 can can give consent to someone who's over the age. So it doesn't matter what she says about the incident. Like it's still clearly wildly inappropriate. And it reflects despite how much of a trailblazer he was, how much he was still caught up in the stardom of his era and how much he was still a susceptible human being who lived as a rock star and this is what rock stars did. They had sex with groupies, and they never checked how old a groupie was. They just had sex with them. And I'm
1: going to go out on a limb here to say I think that they didn't check because they didn't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, I don't think checking would have necessarily made a difference, except, like, the uh, threat of the law, if that makes sense.
0: hmm Yes. And back then, that threat was not even particularly exactly. strong. Exactly.
1: Exactly. I do think it does in some way warrant that reading, even though it's somewhat near impossible now, since it is at its core with that underlying subtext that we mentioned earlier is just creepy. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, luckily Jennifer Connolly Sarah makes it out of the Goblin King's grasp. And there's this lovely message at the end about like all of her friends who helped her get her brother back and helped her um, evade the clutches of the Goblin King. They are, are going to be with her whenever she needs them. You know, it's like the friends who helped you grow up, the the imaginary friends who helped you grow up, the things that make you feel safe will always be with you when you need them, no matter how old you get. And I think that that is the lesson she learns at the end. And it's, it's, it's great that it ends that way. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, very, very great that it ends that way instead of any other way it could have gone. But it is such a lovely film. Just, I mean, it's so weird It is so weird. It's so bizarre. But the more you watch it, the more you're just like, yeah, yeah, this is, I can be in this world for an hour and a half or however long it is and really just kind of like lose myself in it. And it's such a perfect like spooky season fall movie. You know, it's got all the wonderful campy additions to like traditional horror fantasy creatures that make it just enjoyable and fun. Um and i just i th- i think this i just love this movie i just love this movie it's great it's a fun time yeah.
0: i i think that i love it for the season i would never watch it if it like wasn't halloween time or spooky time but uh, otherwise i think it's like a perfect addition to that rotation add it to your fucking spooky time playlist man oh, it is please do we are, we are we are releasing this pod in spooky time so that you add this to your spooky rotation
1: yes absolutely Oh, dance magic
0: dance jump, <laughs> uh, jump. Oh, it's so good um
1: Ben would you like to uh, talk about what's in store music wise?
0: yes um <laughs> probably <laughs> I'm laughing because I I'm going to give nadira a very distinct out with what I'm making her listen to. Which is that this is the first thing where I'm going to say, if you feel like something is dragging on too long, just skip the song. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Oh, no. And the album you'll be listening to is To Be Kind by Swans, which is one of the most influential post-rock groups from the 80s and now in the 2010s they Mm. had a really influential period in the 1980s 1990s and then they came all the way around and have had a run of three albums the best of which being to be kind that really are just incredible albums within like kind of the post-rock and hard rock genre Mm. however there is literally a song on this album that is 30 minutes long that's unnecessary (laughs) keep it (laughs) which is why i am telling you like there are a couple songs in here that i know you won't skip i really would not recommend it to you just so you have to like sit through nonsense for two hours Mm -hmm. there are just some songs that are like in like you know too long like 30 minutes is crazy Mm -hmm. but there but even a lot of the 10 minute tracks on here you will not think they're 10 minutes because of how well they pace them I promise you.
1: Okay, I think you might be uh, uh, underestimating my ability to be bored, but <laughs> <laughs> I will take your word for it. I would like to say I'm excited, but I don't know if excited is the right word. But um, you've
0: got you've got to skip on this time, so you 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 can just get through. You can be like, look, it was a two hour album. I listened to 45 minutes. <laughs> great,
1: great, and I will promise you at least 45 minutes of my time. That is what I will. Um, That is what I will promise you. Um, Okay. So it's about that time in the pod where I have been watch a Coen Brothers film. It was when we were discussing this that I realized how much of a Coen Brothers stan I am. Before I just thought like, Oh, these guys make films that I enjoy. But then when we were listing them, I was like, Oh, this film is so good. And this film is so good. And this is one of my favorite films of all time. And this film is so good. Um so it got to the point where I wanted to just choose anyone and to be completely honest I wanted to choose Fargo as a match for this album because I just want to watch Fargo again. Um, <laughs> but I don't think it's necessarily the perfect match for this album from the sample song that you sent me which even that I only listened to about half of so we're we're on track we're on track. Um, <laughs> So, the Coen Brothers infamous film, No Country for Old Men, is your assignment for next week. I actually, this is probably the most recent Coen Brothers film I've seen. Um, I think I only watched it for the first time, like, four or five months ago. Um, But... I watched it and was like, I get it. I get the hype. And so I'm really excited to talk about it. I think it might pair well with this album, I hope. And if not, it would still be an excuse for us to watch a Coen Brothers film listen to this album watch this movie please if you're just down for a fun whimsical time that doesn't really make that much sense Mm -hmm. um that will surprise you then please add this to your spooky season rotation put it in between i certainly have hocus pocus and halloween town i don't know do with it what you will but please watch it it's so just of the moment And it's so right for this time of year. And um, I hope that it brings you all joy.
0: And And that's it.
1: That's all I have to say.
0: That's it. This has been Off the List. list.
1: That is Labyrinth and Hunky Dory. Off the motherfucking list. Should be off yours. Um, And we will see you next time.
0: Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that should be the to everyone. off the list is made by ben and me nadira our artwork is by rebecca pearson and our music is by cedric hawkeyes